offerings. Um, just so you are remembering, on our bulletin, we do give you an, uh, uh, a summary every, every week of our tithes and offerings, just so you're aware. Um, me and Jen have decided, based on past experiences, um, that we are going to be a church that is an open book. There's no secrets. There's no, nothing hidden. The budget's not hidden. What I make's not hidden. If you want to know, come ask me. I'll say, I don't care. You know, I didn't make nothing this month. But, you know, in general, you know, I do make stuff. So it, it's an open book, and I want you guys to know that as a church, this, this church is going to be different. In fact, um, thank you, Pastor Craig. Appreciate that. Um, just so you know, um, let's pray over that, and then I'll, because I could start blabbing forever. And Susie gives me the sign that's like, hey, you're forgetting something. Uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing on us. Father, uh, the Bible, your word, God says, that you, God, are the one that gives men and women the ability to gain wealth. So, God, we believe that your word's true, so we thank you for the opportunity um, to give back to you a small portion of what you've provided for us. Lord, would you use these, God, to bless the kingdom, to bless, Lord, those that are coming into the kingdom, and to help get your word out and proclaimed before you come back? Because I believe you're coming back soon, Lord, so I want to be ready and alert. So, God, I give these tithes and offerings to you as an honor and a blessing. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said amen. 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 And will you work on my EQ there, Mr. Gary? I think I'm getting a ring. I don't know if it's, can I, should I turn one of these off? I feel like I'm, you ever get the ring in your ear? And Does ever, anyone have a ringing in the ear? Sure, yeah, we have that. No, not now because of the sound system, but <laughs> I can always count on Mark to keep things light and fluffy, which I need because I get too serious and Mark balances me out. I love him. Um, but no, seriously, does anyone struggle, uh, I, I believe the Holy Spirit is giving me a word, does anyone have a struggle with the ringing in the ear? Yeah? yeah? You do, ringing. So um, I, want you to lay hand, I want you to lay hands on your ears and just put your finger, if you want God to heal you, I believe God wants to heal you right now, um, because that ringing in the ear, I've had that before, and I've rebuked it, and it leaves. Um, it, it'll come up and start ringing, and I'll say, uh-uh, and I'll start praying, and within, within less than a minute, it goes away. So I, I believe that is an attack. So if that's something that you struggle with and you want to exercise your faith right now with me, God's given you an opportunity to do that. So if that's you, let's pray. So lay your hands on your ears and we're going to pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come, you're the healer. God, you're the healer. Your blood has provided healing for all sickness and all disease. Everyone, nothing excluded in that list, God. You are the physician. So right now, we lay hands, Lord, right now on our ears. We command all ringing in the ears to stop now immediately. I command every, every ear that's ringing to go now and be healed in Jesus' name, whether it's a, a connected to migraines, whether it's connected to a neck injury, whether it's connected to a back injury, Lord, or something else, stress and anxiety, I break every form of bondage that caused ringing in the ear, and we rebuke it in Jesus' name. We command in the name of Jesus that the ringing, that whole uh, militia, that whole uh, dark spirit right now would be gone right now and cast out. We speak life over the ears, life over the physical body. We speak miraculous healing over the ears in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Believe that with your heart. The Bible says, Jesus said, ask whatever you want in my name. And if you believe and if you don't doubt in your heart, you shall have what you ask for. That's not something I'm making up. That's what God said to believe. That's what God says. And we've got to take God's word seriously. Amen. 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 So, hey, um, it's got an interesting day today. Did you guys like the little change today, right? A little different? Yeah. Small groups, Rachel's looking at me like, what, what was different? Wait a minute, hold on, hold on, there's something different today? <laughs> you know, God gave us a word in October, and if you were here, you'll remember, but we talked about the, the theme that God said was transformation, right? We've been talking about that a little bit, and about God transforming not only you and me as individuals into his glory, but transforming our church into the church that he wants it to be, Amen. So we are in a transforming state, amen? We, and, and, I want, and as we are worshiping, I want, I want you to understand something about the process of where we're going and where you are as individuals going. In your life, I don't care how long you've known Jesus, how short, your goal, your process of going towards glory should be less of you and more of him. Are you, are, and I know that's a simple concept. 
But it's kind of complex if you really get into it because so, so many of us, in fact, 100% of the people in this room are going to be naturally self-centered. We're self, we, want our, we, we please ourselves, we do everything about for us. But as Christians, we have to force the issue to become decreased and for Jesus to increase. Think about all the aspects of your life on where that should be taking place and maybe isn't. We, we allow it in some of our areas, but do we allow this decrease in every area? At work, with our work friends, how about school? How about our marriage relationships, friendship relationships? Do we allow that concept to be in our marriage where we are getting up saying, I'm going to decrease and I'm going to increase Christ in this relationship by honoring my spouse or a friend or, or whatever, brother, sister. That should be growing every day more so and more so. So it shouldn't be if you're going boom, 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 total self-centered, total humility. That is not God's plan for you. God's plan is for you. A, you're decreasing, he's increasing. Slowly, slowly. Are you with me? So that's the process. When we talk about the word, when we preach different things about what God's word says to help us grow, it's about us submitting to God, dying to ourself, dying to our own selfish desires, because we have to understand something, guys, that the flesh in its unsaved state and the mind in the unrenewed uh, season is wicked and evil. The, See, you guys, us, we were born into a dark, evil kingdom. So when you were born, because of Adam's sin, you and I were born into the kingdom of darkness. When we're born, we are born as a slave to sin. We are under the rulership of Satan who has overlorded this world through Adam, right? And now because of Christ's work, we can get out of that kingdom and be translated into the new kingdom, but we have to make that choice to get out of that other kingdom and in there. But because we were born there, we have a transformation process that God wants us to go through so that we learn to think like of the new kingdom we're going into and less like the kingdom we came out of. Are you with me? Because the kingdom we came out of is self-centered, self-seeking. It's all about me, no one else, me first. I win, you lose. That's what the old kingdom is about. But that's why Jesus came, and that's why God, God we, we did a whole series on what is God really like. Because Jesus, all throughout the, the scriptures, and especially the gospels, Jesus came and said, look, this is what you used to do in your old kingdom. Now let me show you how it's like where I come from. And if you want to go where I go, you need to be translated from a different type of thinking into a new thinking, which is the Christ mind, Christ mind in you thinking. Are you with me? And that's less of your own selfish desires. You got to get to the point as a Christian where your own desires become so low compared to what Christ has for you because the fullness of joy is not in completing what you want to do in your desires. The, the fullness of joy in Christ is finding out what he's made you to be and becoming that. Are you with me? That's different than you going, well, I want to be this, and, I want, and I'm not saying jobs are bad or careers. All that's great stuff. But even in those, you have to find what God's made you. Right. You're never going to be happy until you have that complete, desperate surrender to Christ where you are just simply a vessel, and the Spirit's working in and through you in this life. You will find the most joy when you give up the most. You're going to have more joy in Christ, in the church, in this world, when you say no to your own fleshly desires. God's created it so that the fullness of joy, the Bible says, is found in his presence. That means in his way of doing things, translated into his kingdom, you find that fullness of joy. Does that make sense? You with me? Yeah? You with me? Yeah? Yeah? Allison? Allison's? Sorry. I looked at her and said Allison. I'm like, wait, there's two. You with me? Yeah? <laughs> She's like, shoot, what were you talking about? <laughs> we're having a work day Saturday, and you were the first volunteer. I just don't even know. It's good. All right, so let's get to it. Um, so today I want you to turn to Matthew 7, uh, verse 24. We're going to work through a familiar passage of Scripture that I'm sure you've read or seen before and maybe even have studied. But I felt like God wanted to get us keyed and focused in on, um, on a foundation, on really... Building on a good foundation, 
knowing who our foundation is, and then we're going to see a little twist on that um, at the end here. But I want us to read Matthew 7, 24, starting in verse 24. And this is the infamous story of the wise and foolish man who builds his house on the rock and one builds on the sand. So verse 24 says this in Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And then rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock or established on a rock. Verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, so the only difference so far, both parties have heard the word, one is doing something with the word, the other person is not doing something with the word. He says that person who does not do, he hears it but does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat. Oh, that sounds exactly like the prior verse. So it hap- the same thing happened to both, but the one that built on the sand, and it said it fell, and, the, and great was its fall. Father God, we ask that your anointing would come on the word, that we would hear it, understand it, and do it, and work it into our lives in Jesus' name. So let's look at this verse. I want to take apart this little passage, these uh, three or four verses, and, and talk about a few things that God's put on my heart for you guys and for us as a family. So the first thing I want you to underline or show there in your scripture or in your Bible or in your phone is highlight that, you know, the, the first line, everyone then who hears these words of mine, hears these words of mine, and then you can write in your notes, and does them, right? Because you can hear the word, that doesn't make you Christian, that doesn't make you saved, that doesn't make you transformed by just hearing. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. You've heard that from me, and you're going to hear it again. Coming to church, doing Christian things does not make you a Christ-like one. Do you know what that's Christians meant, Max? They first called them Christians. It means Christ-like ones, because the, the community saw this group of Christians, and they were doing things exactly like Jesus did them, and so their nickname became Christians, or the ones that are acting like Christ. What a great nickname that would be. Oh, man, I want, I mean, Christian nowadays is not that in meaning, but, man, I want that nickname. Oh, you remind me of Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? So the words of mine, do we hear them? Now, I want, in in all scriptures, we need to take all scripture in context. And what that means simply is that you don't just read these four verses and, and then start pulling out all these things that you think it means, even though sometimes, even in the verse, it has stuff that it means literally, and then, but that, that in context can pull out more of the, the broader meaning of it. But I want you to understand that this verse, or this section of, of these few verses, are kind of the summary or the end part of what they call the Beatitudes. So this is the end part. So if you go flip back in your Bible or in your phone, you, you scroll backwards, you're going to see a bunch of red letters. And that means Jesus just got done talking, and it started out back a couple chapters where he said, blessed is the man who does it. blessed is he, blessed is this one. And he goes through, and listen to what kind of the theme of what Jesus is just done talking about in the scripture when he says in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine, so what words? Well, this is not just the words he spoke, the prior verse, but the prior topic, the, 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 sermon at, the Sermon on the Mount, was a, a bunch of stuff Jesus talked about. So listen to some of his stuff. Blessed be what? Poor in spirits, right? Blessed be what? Peacemakers. Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, they, yep. Yes, so all those blessed bees, right? Then he gets into being the salt and the light, right? You got to be a light on the hill. You've got to be the salt. If you lose your saltiness, you're not worth it and you're going to be trampled by you Remember that? Anger. If you anger, if you, if you think in your heart, remember he brings everything to the heart. He talks about lust, divorce, unforgiveness. He talks about oaths. talks about loving your enemies. Uh, let's skip that one. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, giving, wait, can't skip that one. Uh, praying, faith, worry, stress, judging others, relationships. I mean, he just did a whole bunch of stuff. And then he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice and does them, he will be like, he will be like either this or this. If you do these words, you're going to be like this. If you don't do them, you're going to be like this. The Bible says in James 1.22, listen to this, be doers of the word and not hearers only, comma, deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourselves. Guys, you will deceive yourself if you think you can come to church, hear the word, or open your Bibles and read it in the morning and just let it soak in and you, and you read it and you kind of think about it, but then you don't put it into practice and you are living in deception. And there's a lot of Christians, man, I'm telling you, that are doing Christian religious practices thinking that that's making them okay with God, and it's not. Even in the biblical times, the, the, the people of Israel thought that just because they were Abraham's descendants, they were in the end. <laughs> hey, Abraham's my father. I'm an Israelite. We're a special people. I, you know, I don't have to do anything. I just have to be me. And remember, uh, John the Baptist came and said, you brood of vipers, who warned you about this? You think that these rocks won't cry out in your place? You think that just because of who your father is, you can just do whatever you want? Like, he, he came strong. But the word comes strong to us today, even in the New Testament, talking to the New Testament church. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, because if you do that, you're walking in deception, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. That's all pertaining to what we do with what we hear. Are you with me? Because if we simply just are hearers of the word only, that's going to be a pathetic a surface level, a centimeter deep church that just is here for show and entertainment. And I don't want to go to church like that. I want to go to church that may have a few people, but is stinking miles deep. Are you with me? I want to go somewhere where there is depth of relationship and intimacy with Christ, and it shows through the people that go to this church. Because we're not just living, we're not trying to put on an outward mask for people to, so we appear Christian to them. We want to actually be Christ-like ones to them. You see, only meditation on the words of Christ can bring you victory. It's only when you don't hear but do. And it's funny because you can hear and do, and there's, there's a big thing in the middle that is obviously... We all know it's there, right? You hear it, it goes into your mind, and then where should it go there? Exactly. It's got to go down into here where you start making decisions on, hmm, this is who I'm going to be. Because in your heart is who you really are. Jesus said, whatever is in the heart is going to come out the mouth. This is the real you. Remember, Jesus said, it's not what you eat that defiles a man. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man. Because you can eat stuff, that's, that has nothing to do with it. What's in here is determining who you are. And in your heart, you've got to meditate on God's word. That's the only way you can bring victory. Joshua 1.7 is a great example of this. You can write this on your notes. Joshua 1.7, read through that. I'll read it through real quick because it's such a powerful scripture. Remember, this is a big moment in, the, in the, the, the life of Israel. They were about to go into this promised land to fight, right? And so they're about to go in, and this is Joshua's encouragement from the Lord. And God says to Joshua in chapter 1-7, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. So here we hear, hear the word. He, give, he gave the law. Now go do it and observe it, he says. Do not turn from it to the right or left, that you may prosper 
Why do you not turn? Why do you stay focused? To prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is excuse me, written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Who wants to be strong and of good courage and not afraid and God with you? You got to meditate on his word. You got to get it into your heart, and then you got to start doing it even when it's hard. Amen, Brad? Amen. It's sometimes you just got to do something even when it's hard right? You got to do it. Even though it's not easy sometimes, we got to do God's word even when we don't feel like it. We've got to get up maybe a few minutes early in the morning and press into God because your body's never going to go, hey, let's just wake up early. It doesn't. And I mean, Craig's really old, so we can really know. (sighs) Forgive me. Hey, there's a red car out here that's parked on the sidewalk. When you pull in, don't park on the sidewalk like Craig did because it really bothers his wife. All right, commercial break. All right. So we talked about being hearers and doers. Now let's look down where it says, um, or, or I talked about the context, right? So we talked about what came before this segment. Now if we look right back at the verses prior, because not only can you learn from a verse itself, You can learn from the verse itself and the surrounding scriptures. Remember in Job, when they talked about the birthday parties and how, wait, that was right before this and how that made sense to us and and gave us some illumination into the word. Same here, same in any scripture. You can always learn something from the actual verse, the context immediately around it, and then like we just looked at, the whole context of what the letter is or the whole concept of the the scriptures. So in this verse, if you look back on um, verse 21 and 23, you're going to see a familiar verse that we talked about a few weeks ago in Matthew 7, 21. Remember, it talked about um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember that? And it says, but the one who does the will of my Father, on that day many of you will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works and miracles in your names? And then I will declare to you, Jesus speaking, I will declare, Jesus says, I will declare to you that have prophesied in my name. I will, uh, Jesus, I will declare to the person who did mighty miracles. Let us sink in. Jesus will say to the person who prayed for someone and their arm grew out or that was dead and was raised back to life. And Jesus will say to that person, I don't know you. What? Listen to the end of it. Verse 23, because this is right before our context verse in verse 24. Verse 23 says, And when I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow, how do you go from doing uh, works of God and having the Spirit of God work through you with miracles and signs and wonders and then all of a sudden be labeled as a lawless uh, deceiver? How does that happen? Well, it happens because if you don't, Get God's word in you, and that genuine stuff in your heart's not real. You can be deceived out of that because you're either following God or you're not. You're either being transformed or you're not. There's no gray area here with God, guys. You're either becoming less selfish or you're becoming more selfish. A lot of Christians want to think they're in the neutral. I'm not going reverse, I'm not in drive, I'm just a neutral. And I just, want to, I just want you to leave me in neutral, and I want to stay here for a few months. And so they're, they're hearing the word, they're not doing it, and then what are they? They're deceived, right? James says, you can't be hearers only, you've got to be doers, or you're deceived. So if you're hearing the word and not doing it, you're walking in deception. Walking. Think about that, church. Lord, Lord. We did all these things, and Jesus says, I don't know you. You know, people thought they were good with God, but they were, in fact, not only not good with God, they were in direct opposition to him. You are either working for him with his plan and his purposes going forward, or you are resisting working against God. 
That's a good thing for you to think about. Where are you? Are you in cooperation with the Holy Spirit in your life? Or are you doing what you want to do on your own timing, at your own pace? And if you are, you could be in danger of being a person that's lawless because you're going against what the Holy Spirit wants. Think about it. There's one or the other. There's no gray area here, guys. God doesn't say, oh, you know, you just cruise for a while. I'll give you three or four months, and then I'll come back when you're ready. That's not the God of the Bible. All of it. Now, let's continue. I want to look at the words wise and foolish because they're kind of interesting because we have two people in this context. We have a wise person and a foolish person. Listen to what these words mean. So for the word for wise... Um, it's a Greek word that talks about the personal perspective um, regulating outward behavior. So the wise person is a person who, based upon what's in their heart and God's word and God's plan and his spirit in you, regulates how we act and produce and talk to the world around us because they're wise. That's The wise person is one that can be in a situation and have something happen to where, oh, I want to react and yell at this person, but you know what? Because I'm regulating what's in my heart, I'm going to take what was said and I'm going to put it against the word and go, hmm, yeah, I'm going to have mercy and grace and not judgment. God prefers mercy over judgment, so I'm going to align with that and I'm going to be wise and go, hey, I understand I love you. Wait, what a minute? What? The normal person would have lashed out and, and retaliated, but the wise person says, no, I'm going to be regulated. That's what that word means, regulated by what's in my heart. It's actually the root word of the English word for diaphragm, which controls your breath, right, and the singing and pitch of your voice and a bunch of other things, and your breathing, and which is a, controls the, that body function from the inside to the outside. So it's a control. Wisdom, a wise person is able to control what may brewing and bubble up inside to not let it get out. Taming the tongue. As opposed to the foolish person, where in the, the word for the foolish person is moros, which comes from the root word, English word, moron. So the foolish person has that root of a moron or a moronic, which really means dull or flat without edge. They don't have that same context. They don't, they don't have the ability to hold that in. They just blurt stuff out. They've become dull or stupid or foolish. They've become dull in the sense that their spiritual sensor is not sharp anymore. And, and if anything comes into the heart, they just spit it out. There's no wisdom there. And so the wise man built his house on a rock. The foolish man built his house on sand, which you might think from your perspective, like, huh, well, that makes sense. Is that stupid? Why'd you build it there on the sand? No one would do that. But if uh, some theologians say in that area uh, uh, in Israel, that it was very common for the um, for for if new people came in, they wouldn't know where the ravines are, and when it would rain really heavy, it would wash out the valleys and creeks and all that, and it would wash the sediment out, and the and the sediment would be on on different lower plains, but not low enough, so they wouldn't think it would be bad. They would think, oh, look at there, it's all ready flat. I just got to set up camp here, and I'll be fine. And it was easy. And so, but they didn't know, and, and many theologians think that Jesus was actually telling of what they all saw happen. They all saw this fool come in and think, hey, I'll, go, I'll take this land and build my house and it'll be easy, when they all knew that even though it was tougher to go in and dig down in the ground and remove rocks and toil, it was better because a good foundation was more important than going the easy route, which was to just set up camp on this flat, already made surface that you thought was a good foundation. And you know, it's, it parallels to a lot of Christians today because a lot of people, they don't want to work hard for their foundation. They want the easy route. They want what's easy and to them and fun and, and satisfies their flesh. So they're not going to really do the hard toil work of getting up and making a, a disciple out of yourself by surrendering yourself to God and making hard choices and disciplining yourself. Discipline's a forgotten word for us, church. Discipline about, Paul says it all over that he you know, crucifies the flesh. He disciplines himself daily, dies to himself daily. It was a process of dying to yourself and being disciplined to make the things that God wanted us to do in our life so that it would produce something good in us. But these people didn't see it. And so the wise and the foolish person are distinguished here. But what's interesting about the wise and foolish is that the rains, the floods, and the wind came on both their houses right? On both of their houses, those came. And I want to talk a little bit about rains, winds, and flood, because if you read the text here, it says, the rain fell, 
the floods came. So this isn't just a sprinkle. This is an intense storm, and the winds blew. So we're talking about a severe storm, and, you know, we're all going to get those in our life. We're all going to have storms. We're all going to enter persecution in a, in a sense. And I want to ask a question. Do you guys think the American church is persecuted? Not much. People get mad. So we're, we're, we got a little persecution going on, right? I mean, I mean, in comparison to Middle East, I mean, we have gotten a, you know, not to be brutal, but there was a beheading years ago at a, you know, but, but in, we're not, you know, police aren't coming in, staking out our church. I don't think anyone here. <laughs> we're not having clo- a lot of church closures because of the police. But so we're not really persecuted, but I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to think about something. What is the purpose of persecution? Now, now I'm going to ask you to do something kind of weird, and don't freak out, but I want you to think is that as if you're the enemy. As if you're in the kingdom of darkness, and your goal as the kingdom of darkness is to stop the church. So what's your point in persecution? What do you want to do? What's the point of it? Why would you persecute the church? Why would you want to Right, keep people away, get rid of them, have them stop doing what they're doing, right? Because you want to end that kingdom. You don't want that kingdom to advance. So the purpose of persecution is really to stop the spreading of the gospel or the new message or this new kingdom, right? So it's, it's a kingdom battle, right? So, that they want to, so if you're thinking from that perspective, you would think that persecution would hinder and stop. But I want to ask another question. Why, is the, why do we think the American church is not being persecuted? And Paula brought up a good point that it's starting. We're seeing little bits of that. We're, we're beginning to see things, but really we're not persecuted as, as we all think of persecution in general. But as I was praying this week, and I started journaling in the morning, one, one of the mornings this week, and I was, for some reason, got asked this question, and God told me that, um, no, he said, you got it wrong. He said, the American church is under one of the most severe persecutions of all time. And at first I was like, huh? Like, you know, we all have our heads on and, you know, we live in a great country, which we do, and we have a lot of freedoms, but we're starting to lose those. But then I I started writing, and as the Lord started showing me, he says, well, if the object of persecution is get people to stop advancing why do you think the devil isn't persecuting this church in the, in the, in the historical context of persecution? That's exactly right. Why would he need to kill people if he can get more done by blessing them and allowing them to be prosperous, allowing them to live in a nation where they can go to the doctor right away instead of being desperate for his healing touch? Why would it be that we can get, there's never, we ne, no one hardly ever goes hungry. There's so many food programs. And, I mean, look at Paradise Fire, how many people have just poured out money. The guy from San Diego gave every student in Paradise and teacher a 1000 bucks, totaling $1.1 million. Like, there's generous hearts out there that have been pouring out food. But yet, if you think about it, the, the, the hardest persecution and the most wise persecution is happening right now. And why it's so powerful is because the church doesn't think we are getting persecuted. That's why it's so powerful. We don't think we are, but look at the status, status of our church. Look at most churches. If you look at the most churches in America of what's being accepted and somewhat normal, the devil has gotten uh, us to not follow or the church to stop really pursuing Christ without any persecution. You know that I saw a stat the other day that 100 churches are closing every week in America. 100 churches are closing their doors. I just think, whoa. I mean, if you think about it, though, look at our history. The Holy Spirit has been kicked out of our churches for the most part. And we kicked the Holy Spirit out as a whole. Not here, not some. There's churches, you know, pockets. But in general, we've said no to the Holy Spirit in too many areas, and now the Americans have left the church, and now we have 100 churches closing because Americans are not getting, they're not getting what they need from God, which is transformation and power, and the power of the Holy Spirit rebirthing and renewing people. Think about that. Think about, think about it, church. 
Think about it. Or becoming lukewarm. Think about what's allowed in our churches, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, porn, sex outside of marriage has been rampant in the church. People are living together and attending church like it's no big deal. I mean, people have so negated the word. The Bible says you got to hear the word and then do it. You can't just hear the word and then do whatever you want. You got to obey the word. And we've had sexual morality going. We've had murder, and we have people that are have had abortions that think it was their right and justified going to churches in church leadership and thinking that's okay. We have Christians that go to church that still think that abortion is the woman's right, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's moronic. It's unwise to think that way because it's against what God says because if you hear the word and don't do it, you're walking in deception. We have unforgiveness and bitterness and anger at all-time highs in the church. I mean, we just a lot of us went through the book, um, The Bait of Satan, talking about how to release and forgive, but we have so many people in our churches coming that, are, that will never forgive they're uh, so-and-so because of what they did. We have people that are just bitter and angry, having murderous thoughts towards people. We have people in churches gossiping, backbiting, and lying. We've denied the Holy Spirit gifts. Most churches make fun of speaking in tongues. If you speak in tongues, they think you're wacko and weird, and it's not relevant to grow the church, right? If you speak in prophecies or say you have a word from God, they label you with that and, and ostracize you and say, oh, words from the Lord. No, the Bible's the only thing God talks. God can only speak what the Bible says. Well, God can talk and say whatever he wants. <laughs> and it'll agree with the word, but he's got a lot more to say than what's written in the book. In fact, oh, God said that in his word. If I were to tell you everything that was said by Jesus, it would fill all the books in the whole world. So God's got a lot to say, but yet we have pushed back and denied and suppressed the Holy Spirit. He's left. We have tongues, prophecy, words, supernatural, anything gets people all freaked out and scared, and they start running, right? You, have, you talk about healing and how rare it's been, right? Healing is so rare in the church as a whole that people, because they don't run to God first, we don't have to. Doubt and unbelief is running rapid because now we, we have people thinking that, well, God heals maybe not all the time, and we don't know, and maybe not, and you know, maybe he's teaching you something, maybe he's doing this. So what is all that? Doubt and unbelief. You're just putting in doubt and unbelief. Deliverance. We've talked a little bit in this church, not much. People think you're crazy. If you talk about a demon, they think you're all weird and wacko. When Jesus dealt with more demonic beings in his than he talked about a lot of other subjects. He cast out more devils than you could count with all of our fingers put together in all the world. Like he, he did so much deliverance. He would go into towns and deliver and heal everyone. Everyone. It says that over and over in the Gospels that he healed everyone that came to him. Churches become a one-person Good band, entertainment business. The church is weak. My question now is, where do, where do the hurting go? Where do the addicts go? Where does the homosexual go? Where does the person struggling with stealing and anger and unforgiveness go? Where can they, what church can they walk into and have the power of God transform them and not take 27 years to do it? And they have to go through program after program for all these years. What happened to the power of God? We see it. We read it in the word where people met Jesus and they left free. And yet we don't see that power in our churches, guys. I want more of that in this church. But I know even in our church and a lot of churches I've seen and been a part of and know people in do not experience this. The church is supposed to be a place that they encounter God. They encounter his power. They encounter we need people to walk in here that are addicts or whatever, and that have, and then someone in this church by the Holy Spirit says, I don't know who you are, but I gotta give you a word. The Lord says this, this, and this. He's just speaking to me, and boom. That is power to change. We need to lay hands on people and then be transformed and healed. Are you with me? And that's gonna take a process of, of getting ourselves in alignment with God to where we start hearing and doing, right? Well, I'm going to skip how, uh, about, um, how about me and I am, because that's a whole thing, but I want to skip down to 
is your foundation strong? What is your foundation made up of? You know, this whole concept in Matthew 7, 24 is about the foundation or the rock. And if you think about it, you think, what does make a good foundation? I was looking up some stuff the other day. Do you know, you know those big, tall skyscrapers, right? You know, they have to go down a long way down with tons of cement. I think they went down eight or ten stories beneath the ground for the tw Twin Towers and built a hundred-foot wall straight down, three feet wide, all around the bottom of those just to hold it and support it. I mean, think of that. Ten, that's a, like ten stories or eight to ten stories down, cement three feet thick all the way around just to hold out the pressure from uh, the outside stuff. It was just amazing. And if you think about some of the tallest buildings in the world, how deep they have to go in the foundation, how sure that foundation has to go so that what's built upon it will last. It says this in 1 Corinthians 3.10, and I'm going to close with this concept here. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul speaking, he says to the church, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Listen, listen, church, this is written to you too. Let each person, you could put your name in there, let Rachel, especially Craig and Johnny, let each person take care how he builds upon it. Okay? Upon what? Well, let's go on. 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So each of you are responsible for how you build your life from the foundation bedrock of Christ. It's not my responsibility. It is yours. I want to help you build. I will assist you. I will try and lead you, but it is your responsibility how you build and with what you build because a fire is coming. And in paradise... Um, that fire swept through so fast, they, they, they have, what, over 80 people, I think, actually perished because they didn't get out quick enough, and a lot of people almost didn't make it out. Because the fire came so fast, and they weren't ready, and that fire incinerated anything that was not built to hold up against fire. And isn't it interesting that you see all these houses at my brother and sister's house flattened, and then a chimney. The whole, well, a chimney is built for fire. They stood through fire. If you want your life to stand through a fire that is for sure coming, what are you going to build with? Build carefully. Build with materials, Mark, like that. Build with materials that will withstand. And it's, isn't it interesting? He says, if you build with gold, precious stones, silver, Versus wood, hay, and straw? Whoa. Don't want to build your house out of wood, hay, and straw. Because that's all paradise was. I lived there for years. It's a bunch of sticks and bushes and trees. It's, it's, a, it's a match box waiting to be lit. Am I, is that true? I, I had property up there that had so much pine needles and Manzanita bushes, one of the hottest burning woods on the, on the planet is what I heard. It burns super hot. Anyway, you've got to be ready for your, your foundation. You've got to have Christ your foundation. And I want to ask you this question. And don't answer because you're going to think you know the answer. But, but you can answer. Who is your foundation? Don't answer this loud. Just think about that. Who is your personal foundation? I know, obviously, I'm hoping Jesus comes up in there, but I want you to be more even real with yourself, because maybe he isn't. Maybe he's a close one, but maybe someone else is your foundation. Maybe some other person you've put in the place of Christ 
and you're trying to build upon that person's perceptions of you or viewpoints of you or maybe it's your spouse, your kids, your friend, but who really is your foundation? And I know all of us in our hearts, we say Jesus, and we just read the scripture in 1 Corinthians that says, don't lay any other foundation except Jesus Christ. So we know that should be the foundation, but I want to ask you that in two parts. Who really is your foundation? Is he really your foundation, and what does that look like? But I want to ask you, too, what makes you certain that he is your foundation and that you will be able to stand on him? I want you to listen to the same passage we read, but in the message version. In Matthew 7, 24, in the message, it says this. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They, the words that he spoke, are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the rivers flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed, underline that in your Bible, it was fixed on the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed that house like a house of cards. Hmm. The only way Jesus will be a good foundation in your life is if you are intimately connected to him. You can say in your mind, oh, Jesus is my foundation, but he is not your foundation unless you are tethered, fitly joined together, intimately connected with him. Why? You ever see tornadoes blow through neighborhoods? What's left? foundations. Why? Because the wind rips that house and wood off, and all that's left is cement with the metal things that used to hold the flat plate of the walls on the house, because that was their only connection, and the storm was too powerful. What you need is to be so intimately connected in Christ that no matter what blows on you, comes your way, no matter what disaster hits you, that that wind is either going to not take you out or it's going to take you and Jesus. Are you with me? Obviously, that'll never happen because Jesus is is stronger than that. But you have to be so connected to him that you will not break apart from him. And the only way, church, you can do that is by being intimately connected in him. You have to have the concept and the mindset of David in Psalms 84 that says this, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Is one day better to you than a thousand anywhere else that you could be? Any vacation spot? Any amount of money, any amount of mansions or palaces or things that this world can offer is one day with Christ as a doorkeeper better than a thousand anywhere else? It's a challenging question, but your mindset has to be that way if you want to be intimately connected with Christ and have a sure foundation because you don't have a sure foundation by knowing about Jesus. You don't have a connection with Jesus Christ because you've read the Bible or heard stories about him or even raised your hand one day in church. Many of God's people raise their hand and then it stops. And then they go back, right back to the life they're living because they're not intimately connected. Proverbs 8 is looking at wisdom, which is a picture, obviously, of Christ. It says this, receive my instruction And not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all things one desires cannot compare with her. Nothing can compare to your time with Jesus Christ. Nothing can compare to the intimacy that you have with Christ. It's the same concept of the great pearl, where the guy found a pearl, sold sold everything he had and bought the property where that pearl was. He did everything. He abandoned it all for Christ. And church, I'm telling you that we have to get into the word and, and we have to, as a church, make sure that our viewpoint of spending time with God is like our next breath. Has anyone been close to drowning in their life? 
I think all of us at one point, maybe some more severe than others, but I think we've all tried to do something underwater and we miscalculated and we're trying to get up. I know I, I grew up in Southern California and I remember, and I loved to boogie board since I was a little guy. And my mom would just let me go out there and every now and then they'd be called undertoes or what, is that what it's called? Yeah, undertoes. Riptide, that's what I was looking for, but undertow, riptide. And uh, I remember big waves were coming and I'm having a blast, but I got caught in one of those. And what happens is the water rushing back and the waves coming in, it just it pull, sucks you in. And I got sucked under and was bouncing around in there trying to, and then thinking, oh, I'm going to have enough time, but thinking, I don't know which way's up. I feel like I'm running out of breath, and I'm just, I'm just freaking out, really. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know what I'm, I'm feeling. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, am I going to make it up to that part? And you know right when you get to the top of the water, you don't want to suck in there too hard because there's still be water, you know what I mean? But you do anyway, and you get salt in your nose and all that. And I was like that, and I, I remember that just that feeling right, right before you get to the air. Guys, when you get up in the morning, that should be how you feel about spending time with Jesus. It should be that big a deal to you. If it's not, don't feel bad because it doesn't naturally happen that way. You've got to choose that. You've got to choose to bend your knee to Christ and say, God, I don't care how I feel or what my mindset is right now. I'm going to choose to be desperate for you right now. Why? Because your word declares it. Joshua said, if you want to be successful, meditate on the word day and night. Get in his presence. Know his word. Be intimately connected with the foundation because just knowing that Jesus is your foundation is one thing, but being connected one makes you successful, makes you safe, makes you connected. Then you can walk in peace. Then you don't have to walk in fear anymore. It's only when you're not connected to the foundation that there's going to be fear. Oh, man, what if wind comes? What if this happens? What if a big storm? What's going to happen? Nothing. I'm connected to my foundation. I have a huge rock. In fact, it's the rock of Gibraltar. It's the biggest rock ever known. It's Christ. And nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Right? Are you with me? Nothing can. Angels or demons, depth or height, nothing. We've got to be connected. So church, oh, sorry. Man, I blew it again. Um, So we'll close. But I want to close with this. Um, I have a bunch of journals I've gotten for the church. Um, They're seven bucks. It's only the cost of the journals. And uh, I want to talk about these journals because I want us to get our hearts prepared. I want us to, as a church, to be doing something spectacular. Um, And I I know not everyone's going to do it. I'm sad. I really do want everyone to participate. And I am asking you officially right now on a pastor date. (laughs) I want you to join me in joining with the Lord every morning. And I want us to read through the scriptures together next year. Um, There's something fascinating about doing that. Um, And what's cool about these journals is we have ones for for kids, too, that um, have, if you have kids, you need to get a hold of this. I tell you what, if I could do anything different in my life, one of the things for sure I would do was introduce something this like this to my kids, to get my kids ready and going through and getting, because they have their scriptures, like one verse, and then they, they soap that verse in their way, and, and they start learning how to hear God's word and apply it to their life and, and put it and apply it and applicate it to their actual life. I would do that with my kids, but it's never too late to start, but you need to start. And church, I'm telling you, if we could do this as a team, as a, as a church body, really get connected and keep each other accountable to be in the word, right? To be in the word every day. And as we're reading the same words, what's so powerful is when you meet someone at the store or you're out with coffee, and that's happened to me more than I can count, but I've had people that are reading the journal with me go, oh my gosh, hey, what did you think about Hezekiah and what happened? Wasn't that weird? I'm like, you know, it really was weird. And and we start talking about the word or, hey, Jesus said this, what did you think of that? Or, man, I had a hard time understanding this, what did you get out of that? And I tell you, it's rich fellowship and it makes you more and more connected to God than ever before. And it helps a church grow close in unity. So my ask as your pastor, and I'm not doing this because I want you to, to journal, I'm asking you to do this so that we can be powerful so that you can be an overcomer, so that you can get so engrafted in the word that you start walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because you, have, you can do no power without the word. All the spiritual gifts, remember when I said the spiritual gifts left the church? Every one of those gifts are tied into your intimacy with Christ. If you're not intimate with Christ and if you don't learn to hear his voice, you will not operate in the spiritual gifts 
very often, if ever, and you, you will be ineffective in when you try and do it without intimacy. If you try and operate with the Holy Spirit without intimacy, it will fail. It won't hold up. And so this journaling system of reading the word and journaling and soaping out, which we've done at this church before, is um, even before me, is a way to help you start to learn how to hear God's voice. So no matter where you're at with God, whether you hear his voice easy and all the time in your devotions, or you've never really heard him speak to you, this process will help you get into the understanding of how to read God's word, have God speak to you something about the word, and, and start applying it to your life, and that'll help you grow in that. Does that make sense? Yep. And so my ask is that this is going to be a discipline. This is going to be not something easy. But what's cool about these is that they have two reading plans. They have a kind of a beginning and a, a beginner's mode and a more seasoned mode. So that, because there's, you know, sometimes there's, I mean, it takes me maybe 15 minutes to read, read the scriptures. But depending on your reading speed and all that, um, you can read parts of it or the whole thing. So it's a really cool way, cool designs. I bought a lot of pink ones because I, I know you guys like pink. I mean, we've got some cool floral ones. We've got the kids' ones. We've got, like, black, red, wood-looking ones. Um, but besides the cool, cool pictures on them and the colors, what's inside is more important. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to drag this out, and I'm sorry, because it is over, and I apologize for that, kind of. Um, <laughs> I, I want you guys to think about how you, you can implement this into your life and make Jesus your next breath. Make time with him his next breath. There was a guy, you ever hear of Smith Wigglesworth? Yeah. Smith Wigglesworth was a, um, in the, I think the early, early 1900s. And he um, raised several people from the dead. He didn't get into ministry till his late 40s. He was a plumber. And um, God worked for him in mighty ways. But I remember reading one of his books. And he told of a story that he was on a way to speak at a church. And he was with his partner that drove with him. And uh, he was driving down, he was driving, his friend was with him. They were driving down the highway to do a meeting, and Smith Wigglesworth just pulled over. And, and the guy's like, what are you doing? Out the middle of the and he gets out of the car, and, he just, and he's on the side, and he just gets on his knees, and he just starts weeping. And the guy's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's like, you know, what are you doing? You know, are you okay? And he's like, he's like, I've been, I have not meditated on God's word since this morning. It's been like four hours. And I've just totally just forgot about God and didn't even take, meditate on it. And he just was broken. Why? Because that was breath to him. He was suff his spirit was suffocating because he needed to sup with God more. Are you with me? Does that sound radical? It does. But is it powerful? Yes. I want to have that passion and that mindset. Guys, it's a mindset of how we view God. Do we really think that we can survive the next five minutes without him? You know the Bible says that Jesus holds all things together. Everything is held together in and through him. And we have got to get the mindsets that, and, and we can start doing this by saying, okay, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to crucify the flesh, and I'm going to start getting up early or whatever day is your best. Give your best to God. Whatever part of your day is best, give it to him. And make the sacrifice to make this journaling, word, prayer, hearing God's voice, the number one priority in your life. And if you do this, you will be blessed beyond what you could imagine. Two, if we do this, we will see God move in this body, in this church, no matter where we're at at the time, we will see God move like we have never seen before because everything is on, cruxed on this portion. If we as individuals don't seek him and have personal relationship with him, we can't do ministry. We, we limit ourselves. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, you're, you're so good. Your word is so powerful. And we thank you, God, for the, the worship time today and just the whole service, God. We're just so thankful for what your spirit's working in us, Lord. And I know your Holy Spirit right now is continuing to prompt and move people in their hearts about what you would call them to do, Lord. Um, with this, what they've gotten from you today. So I pray, Father, that you would take what was given today by your spirit, Lord, and that you would seal it in everyone's heart, God, and you begin to speak and, and help them to take action 
on what you've spoken in their hearts today. Lord, I know you've challenged individuals here to, in some way in their lives. And Lord, I pray that we would be doers of what we've heard today and not hearers only. I pray, God, that as we leave, Lord, that we would not just leave and go on with our day, but we would leave here and go, God, what do you want me to do with what I heard today, God? What do you, I don't want to be a hearer only, God. I want to be a doer. I don't want to walk in deception anymore. So God, you spoke to me today. What should I do with that? Call me, give me some direction here. I want to be a doer of this. Help us, Lord. We want to do that. We want to be, Lord, doers of your word. Help us to do that. Lord, we love you. We thank you in advance, God. And we just give you glory and honor for all that you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, guys. I kept you long today. I hope the Holy Spirit did speak to you today. And if you would like to get a book, we're gonna, you can start now, but we, we're definitely going to start in January. Um, we're going to start together as a team to do this. I hope you will join. I'm praying and believing that you will see the, uh, the vast importance of this. Um, we're doing a fast in January, so start preparing your hearts of what God's going to have you fast and give up from January 6th to the middle there, and uh, we're going to do that together as a, as a team. And God does great things. God will give you vision for this year, and I'm excited for that. Amen? Yeah. All right. Give someone a hug, high five, or tell them you, tell them you love them. And uh, um, if you can, before you leave, ask someone, did God say anything to you today? Or ask them, are you going to be a doer of the word? Or are you just going to hear only? Have fun with that. Love you guys. See you next week.